0: Run at the barking dog, which is basically saying go at the problems. Either position your career against the biggest problems in an organization, and/or position your job as a leader within a function or in a business against the biggest problems. Barking dogs don't go away; they actually get emboldened, right? They get louder and uh, and more intense, and uh, they're more likely to bite when they're when they're bigger and more and more dangerous. But when they're when they're young and small and quiet, is the time to nip them in the butt.
1: Welcome to the first episode of Season 4 of Y-MBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. We have some incredible conversations in store for you this season, and I can't wait to get started. Who you just heard was John Carmichael, the CEO and president of Nestle Canada. That is just a sampling of the insightful advice and stories to come from this double brew So, just like John recommends... Let's dive in and run after that barking dog.
0: My name is John Carmichael, and I am currently the president and CEO of Nestle Canada.
1: So excited to be speaking with you, John. So run at the barking dog, which is to say, run at the problem. Talk to us about this philosophy and how it's impacted your career.
0: I've gone after Nestle's biggest challenges that were available to me all upon my career, and that's essentially gave me the opportunity or the bully pulpit to kind of kind of get known within Nestle um, where a lot of people avoided those things and had perfectly good standard careers with incremental changes um, and they're doing fine, but they didn't get the transformational opportunities or the transformational uh, uh, recognition either um, by taking a career and making it safe.
1: I love how you lay that out, John. Running at the biggest issues is not for everybody. Lots of people are content with a stable job with incremental changes, but for those who seek more running at problems is a way to stand out from the rest. So I want to get into your journey. You went to UCLA for undergrad. What did you do before going back to your MBA?
0: Actually, during undergrad, I started a company with some friends. It was a property uh, management and maintenance business that we did for about five years a uh, couple years in undergrad, about three years after undergrad, and uh, I went back to business school mainly because I thought we were really winging it. And there just must be some, some rules or procedures or formats or ways to think about things that, uh, that were eluding us at the time.
1: Okay, perfect. Build a framework for your business decision thinking. So you come back to UCLA, go to Anderson for a few years. And did you have a plan of coming to business school? You wanted to stick with this business and just learn some new skills. You wanted to do something different. Like what were you thinking in the early days there?
0: You know, I think at the time I was, I was at the beginning I was looking to return to the group I had and, and really drive that. And I've always been more of an entrepreneurial guy than a big company guy, which is kind of ironic. Now having been with Nestle for almost... It's the largest food and beverage company in the world for over, over uh, 27 years. But even, even towards the end of business school, my goal was, had moved to, to work for one of these big companies to sort of, again, get get some learning, get some more, uh, almost like an apprenticeship with one of these big companies, but then either go back to that same company or uh, start something else and, and do something smaller, medium size was usually my goal.
1: Right. And as you said, I love how you said that because I view myself as very entrepreneurial too. And now I work for Am- I work for Amazon, so another big company. <laughs> um, but, but there's uh, you know there's plenty of entrepreneurial spirit within these big companies and and innovative you know startup ways of thinking. Just you know in the context of a larger company, is that kind of how you've found your experience?
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Alex. In fact, I think big companies today are dinosaurs if they don't have an ecosystem that allows for high levels of empowerment and a lot of um, entrepreneurs, I guess, is the hipster term of the day. But it's just really people who have an independent spirit and want to drive things themselves, make their own independent impact. You know, a big company now has to be the collective total of that well-guided, where I think when I joined big companies, it was much more about top-down executional excellence, Um, which is very different and and has been a pretty big uh, change in the industry.
1: Definitely. So you've been at Nestle now for 27 years. Does your entrepreneurial spirit ever make you think, what if, what if I'd gone back to my own company?
0: You know, I, the way I look at it, though, it's kind of interesting because, because frankly, that company that I, I worked with still exists and a, a friend of mine still runs it. And so, it's one of those weird moments in life when you can see exactly what the alternative path would have led to. And and the irony is, is I've, I'm still with Nestle, but my career has been through so many different categories, so many different functions and positions, so many different locations that um, in many instances, my life's journey has been far more adventurous than somebody who might have... I stayed in Southern California, but gone to a bunch of different companies. And so I don't really look at it necessarily as 27 years doing the same thing. I look at it as 27 years as this incredible life adventure that Nestle helped me do um, along the way.
1: That's an amazing way to look at it. So let's talk about that 27-year adventure with Nestle. Can you take us through your progression there?
0: I started in marketing and pet food. I would say marketing is probably where my core is Um, But I worked in sales for four or five years, leading our our sales operations group. Um, I worked in Switzerland in in general management for for a period of time. I I actually worked in HR and in operations. I worked in a plant for six months, which was uh, one of the more interesting experiences I had. Um, And then I've been in general management essentially since 2011, uh, generally running different things through the company. And uh, what's really been actually probably... Best describes my career over the last ten to twelve years has been turnarounds. So I usually drop into businesses that are are in trouble or under duress for one reason or another, and uh, and figure out how to how to how to turn them around and get them up and going again.
1: Wow! And so I can imagine in these turnaround situations, there's probably a need for you know fresh new ideas and leadership. And this is what you were talking about before about the old way of corporations with this top down. So do you see reoccurring problems with these companies that you go into?
0: Well, I would say in every turnaround I've I've dropped into, and and generally it has been that. Sometimes I've known some of the people. Sometimes I haven't. Um, the the thing you find first and foremost is there there isn't an environment of safety. Uh, for one reason or another, either through poor performance or for poor leadership, um, uh, the group is is in duress and, and doesn't feel they're in a safe environment. And so, oftentimes, it's not necessarily the wrong people. And and uh, changing that culture and putting them in a safe environment. As I say, understanding who they are and trying to find a, a system and a, and a culture that, that has the right incentives for them to succeed and a degree of empathy has probably been the most important thing in understanding that. In, in 50% of the time when we've completed a turnaround, we did it with an intact team. Um, as I say, incredibly talented people, they got there for a reason. Uh, And then I would say 50% of the time we we had to make substantial changes to the team. But a lot of times it was because there were ingrained behaviors associated with a uh, sort of a toxic environment that we couldn't get out without uh, without changing the team. Those would be my biggest examples. Um, You know, things like innovation and um, business success tend to thrive in areas where people can be themselves and take risks. So again, it gets back to that culture of safety, um, which is so important.
1: It absolutely is. A company relies on teamwork. Well, teamwork requires trust. And when people feel threatened or unsafe, that trust is not going to be there. Now, while keeping the safe environment as a number one priority, how do you then develop individuals and teams into supporting a successful enterprise? Any findings that you can share on that?
0: I've found to be the most important is to understand what makes people tick. There are a number of different... Kinds of personality or style tests you can take. I get Myers Briggs probably the best and biggest, but a lot of them that are derivation on that. And you and and by get becoming a student of that, you do realize that people are incented and motivated differently. And as a leader, you've got to know how your folks are motivated, and uh, you got to have a diverse group of people around you as well. And that's diverse in the traditional sense that we talk about today with today's DE&I uh, activities, but it's also diverse from a style perspective. And the more you can really understand the people that are working for you and how they're motivated, the more you can build a culture that does that and allows them to thrive as their best selves. And, um, you know, I think the world's getting better about learning about diversity and how important it is, diversity of all kinds, whether it's you know, gender or race or or orientation or what have you, but uh, but I think diversity has always been important in terms of style as well.
1: I one hundred percent agree with you on that, John. Diversity in the workplace is not just a trend; it's a competitive advantage. Through working on all these turnarounds, I have to assume that it has only strengthened your resolve for Nestle. Since you have been there, as we've mentioned, for 27 years, what do you think is the biggest contributor to you staying at one company for so long?
0: Yeah. I asked myself all the day as I'm surprised that I've been here this long. I I would say I'm a marketer at core. And so marketers always are looking for um, sort of what's the core essence of a brand or a business and bring that to life through communications and products. And maybe we're guilty of doing it for ourselves as well. My, My core essence would be adventure. I love a lot of stimuli. I like a steep learning curve, I like change pretty frequently. And I would say that I've never had an opportunity to be bored. Every time I start to feel like I'm mastering something, something else comes along. And generally, it's not just a new business challenge within the same function. It's a very different part of the company, a different function, a different city, a different country that's come along with that. And so personally and and professionally, it's been the growth and and the constant sense of adventure. I, I would also say I've met magnificent people. I call them my breadcrumbs. There's usually two or three from every single assignment I've had uh, through the course of my life. And uh, and that has something that keeps me at Nestle all along. We had a we had a meeting in Switzerland uh, a couple weeks ago, first time in four years because of COVID. And uh, boy, to be able to really see all those people from all over the world that you've spent so much time with is a pretty rewarding thing and really reminds you of what it's all about, which is uh, which is those folks day in and day out.
1: And speaking about community, Nestle is very involved in the communities it operates in. Can you speak a bit about
0: that? Yeah, that's that's another reason why I'm really proud to work for the company. Frankly, we're the largest food and beverage company in the world, and we have an obligation to make sure that we're we're leaving the world better than than where we found it. And so we've always had a local. Uh, very decentralized management approach. And so when you're, when you are local and decentralized, so there's a Nestle Mexico and Nestle U.S. and Nestle Canada, uh, we're in 120 different countries. And most people would see Nestle as a local company, which is, which is really unusual. But I think it's, it's because, you know, we're hiring most uh, mostly local folks, the leaders of those companies are generally from that country. And it gives you a very different orientation than a company that's coming from somewhere else. And, Possibly, maybe even um, you know, manipulating local folks in order to do stuff, and so that's always been different. I think uh, we've got a leader now uh, who's in charge of the whole company, who's got a real passion for it. But but we've gone further, I would say, now than just getting into things like um, like recycling and and uh, and net zero carbon footprint, and gone heavily into regeneration. It's centered on a belief that the world is already irreparably damaged, and that just causing no further damage is insufficient uh to, to to for the for the state of the world as we see it today and so regenerative agriculture is a big way to start to restore some of the things that have been uh irreparably damaged and um and so the com- the concept of you know getting out of uh, virgin plastics completely in, in five years, net zero um, uh, by 2050 as, uh, is combined now with this regenerative approach, which we're all learning um, on, on things. And that's something that uh, certainly makes me really, really proud to work for Nestle.
1: Yeah. That's something to be very proud of. So John, you've had this amazing journey in your career. Have there been elements that you learned while at Anderson that have helped you achieve all that you have or that set you on this course?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's tons. And Anderson was, as I say, a seminal experience in my career. And some of the things were just situational that happened during that time period. I mean, you know, OJ's famous flight and the and the white Bronco on the way up the four hundred five was was when the class before me was graduating. And the Northridge earthquake was when uh, we had our ski trip up in Tahoe. I mean, I mean, there's those seminal things that are just situational. But I would say, you know, Anderson for me, as as I look back, was an eye opener. I was a Southern California kid, UCLA undergrad and grad, as you say, and that huge international component to the school um, was, uh, was really eye opening to me to meet people from all over the world. And it's probably it, maybe the pinpoint is that we had beer busts every Friday afternoon, which is a, a fun memory. And, and every quarter, I think we did an international one, which is when these folks came together and would cook something from their home country, or maybe serve a drink from their home country or, um, but that was when you really kind of got a chance to see them as best you could in Southern California and maybe their own, their own habitat, their own way of thinking, um, which really brought that to life. So that, that is certainly a, a, a big memory of mine and, and probably the seed that, you know, grew up into an international career over time. Now that I think about it as I'm talking to you. So that was, uh, that was a great one.
1: Awesome. And uh, I guess lastly here, just around advice, as you're talking to someone, you know, younger in their career, maybe in business school now, besides running at these problems head on, are there other pieces of advice that, that, you, you know, impart to, uh, to people just, you know, in the early days of their journeys?
0: Well, it's very different on what part of career you're in. I, I would say, so somebody that's in business school now or going to business school, I would say the early decisions you make in your career, you should always be trying to, to open more doors than you close. You know, and so so starting a career at a place that's a good foundation, starting a career at a place that. Uh, um, uh, allows you to then go do different things as you grow and change. You know your your desires for what you want on your career to do as well, and you want to you want to develop platforms that allow you to expand. It's one of the reasons you go to business school is you have that on your resume, and uh, and that opens a lot of doors to you. So that that would be really my biggest piece of advice for somebody who's starting out a career.
1: Run at the barking dog. Create safe work environments which allow individuals to be the best versions of themselves. Keep your teams diverse, invest in your communities, and don't be afraid of big companies. Wow, these are some amazing business principles to operate by. What made this conversation really stand out to me was that John sees himself as an entrepreneur, yet he has worked at the same huge company for 27 years. This reinforces the importance of being open to new ways of thinking. If John had stubbornly stuck to the notion that he had to run his own company, that he had to be out on his own, he would not have had this adventurous and wide ranging career. Sometimes the results do not always meet our expectations. So when looking for your next job, consider those companies that you never apply to because you think they are too corporate, too big, too fill in the blank. All of us have inherent biases towards what kind of a career we think we would like or what kind of company would fit our personalities. But who knows? Maybe that job or company that you always skip over will be the one that finally allows you to live up to your fullest potential and ticks all the boxes of what you look for in a career. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay with us this season on YMBA for many great stories to come. And be sure to check out Anderson on social media at UCLA Anderson.